What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is day 18 of the Trump shutdown, and things are only getting worse, more and more people hurting. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Tuesday, Tuesday, January 8th. Here we go. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital where things are um, building up to a great big lie fest tonight called a primetime speech by the President of the United States to try to defend his demand for funding for a concrete wall. That's what he said he wants to build. Don't let him fool you by saying it's now just going to be a fence. His plan is to build that concrete wall along the entire southern border which is never going to happen, and of course Mexico is never going to pay for it. Absolutely stupid, silly, outrageous, just you name the adjective. They all fit for what we're going through because of this little boy throwing a temper temper tantrum in the Oval Office. Uh, You know, we've all seen it. Two-year-olds, they're the worst. Yeah, well, we got a two-year-old as president. It's good to be back with you today. Thanks to Igor Volsky for filling in yesterday. Here we go now with all the news of the day. Most of it centered on the shutdown and that speech tonight. The big question is, will the networks give Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer equal time to answer Donald Trump's lies? We got it all for you. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Let's jump into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, last night was the college football playoff national championship. I was wondering if you were going to mention this or not. If you didn't, I was. I I, I have to. (laughs) I have to. Number one, Alabama Crimson Tide taking on the number two Clemson Tigers. Let me just say it was not a close game. The final score, 44. 
four to sixteen, the Clemson Tigers beat Alabama in a absolute rout. Things got off to a very bad start in the first offensive set for Alabama when this happened. Pistol formation now. Tungai Baloa with Harris right behind him. Three receivers, two to the left. A blitz from the left. He throws in that direction. It is intercepted. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. AJ Terrell that Uh-oh. is how the game started. No. And it was really all downhill after that. Again, 44 to 16, an absolute rout of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Clemson Tigers are your national champions. Playing in Santa Monica, California. In Santa Monica, yeah. yeah very places, weird right. place. But right. uh yeah, it, it was uh not a close game. Not a close game. Clemson is as legit as Clemson fans I, thought I, that they were. You know, I didn't say, I don't know. It's a stadium that big in Santa Monica. Obviously, they found one, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, there's an interesting trend going on, especially with football, uh, that they're finding smaller and smaller stadiums because huh. it's better for TV. Uh, it's better for TV, yeah. and they know uh, that they've got a bigger TV audience. Uh, by the way, while we're in California, here's a sad story. The number of monarch butterflies that are turning up uh, at uh, California sites where they usually show up, they have dropped. And not just drop, they've dropped significantly. They are down 86% when compared wow. to the numbers wow. from last year. Yeah, Pacific Grove, California is the number one place. To uh, yeah, that yeah. they actually mentioned that uh, in this story. Now, they say not only that, the monarch butterflies, the population has declined by an estimated 97% wow. since the 1980s. A lot of that is the food supply. You know, yep. these bottle brushes and everything that are good for the monarch butterflies and more development, and they you know mow down the fields, and there you go. You knew more about the monarch butterflies than I thought, Bill. Well, I'm a monarch butterfly yeah. lover. No, and yeah. as well you should be. So uh, they have a real problem there. They said that there are some conservation <laughs> biologists that have gone <laughs> out there to try and figure out what the hell is going on with the monarch butterflies in California. It's a very sad story. Their migration is phenomenal. It's crazy. Both, both coasts, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's totally insane what's going on. This is the Bill Press Show. Okay, you want to see the biggest pack of lies ever on television? Tune in tonight, 9 o'clock Eastern, as Donald Trump addresses the nation from the Oval Office to try to convince us that there is a crisis at the border that demands construction of a concrete wall along the entire southern border. Will he ever give up? It ain't going to happen. Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday, January 8th. Good to be back with you. Uh, Shout out to Igor Volsky, our good friend, for filling in yesterday. Uh, I was up to some very important business on the East Coast or on the West Coast. I'll tell you about in just a minute. As we come to you live, as always, from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day, most of it centered on the continuing shutdown, which is in day 18 now, and the hurt is spreading, and it's starting to really undermine the U.S. economy. But Donald Trump just keeps digging in his heels deeper and deeper, uh, with Mike Pence, of course, right there alongside of him. 
We're joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And let me remind you again about the podcast. Podcasts are so important these days. More and more people listening to podcasts, and we are right there. Wherever you go for your podcast, you'll find us, The Bill Press Show. But go to our website, billpressshow.com, we urge you, and sign up for the podcast so uh, you will um, get all of the extra stuff that we put up in addition to the podcast every day and every weekend. Also, looking at you on Free Speech TV, good to see you in TV land, and joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and all over Chicago and the greater Chicago area on the one and only WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. Great lineup of guests today and lots and lots to talk about. Yes, back uh, on the uh, West Coast yesterday, I went out uh, Sunday for the last hurrah for Jerry Brown. Uh, most of you know I worked for Governor Brown for four years, for the best years of my life. Uh, and uh, those of us who are early staffers of Jerry Brown uh, got together, about 35 of us or so, Sunday evening, uh, just to celebrate an incredible life of public service on, uh, on the part of Jerry Brown. Uh, he is now 80 years old. He started maybe, I think, when he was like 25 and ran for his first office. He was, secre- he was uh, on the school board in Los Angeles, then Secretary of State of California, Governor of California, his first term when I worked for him, uh, and he served two terms then, uh, was termed out, became mayor of Oakland, spent some time uh, volunteering with Mother Teresa in India, came back, but then was mayor of Oakland, and then attorney general of the state of California for eight years, and then governor again for eight years. Uh, He was at once the youngest governor, not once, but He was the same man, both the youngest governor of California ever and the oldest governor of California ever, an incredible life of public service. He really made California the number one state in the nation uh, who left office with a $9 billion surplus in California uh, and who made California really a world power. Uh, particularly in the area of the environment, in the area of climate change, <coughs> pardon me again, in the area of health care, uh, and so many, uh, and in the area of criminal justice reform, especially the latter. Uh, and it's interesting because the younger Jerry Brown put some um, laws in place that were very restrictive and ended up with a lot of unfair and unnecessary. Um, severe sentencing that really filled the California prisons. Um, When he got back to the governor's office, Jerry Brown really reversed that trend, and he ended up being probably the most progressive criminal justice reformer in the entire nation. Um, A great life and a great service to the people of California and to the people of this nation. Uh, Succeeded yesterday, was sworn in by uh, Governor Gavin, now Governor Gavin Newsom, who's been lieutenant governor for the last eight years, uh, known him a long time, good friend of mine. He has been right here in studio with us, sat right across the desk from us. Uh, and he uh, took office yesterday with a very um, bold news statement saying California was going to be the leadership in opposing the draconian policies of the federal government, without mentioning Donald Trump by name, uh, that California was going to stand up and fight for universal health care. California was going to lead the fight. 
uh, in efforts to curb climate change. And he also specifically, he, Gavin Newsom, also specifically proposed uh, extending, uh, granting parental leave for six months for a new baby for in California for those born in California, also to a uh, free community college tuition and universal health care. A very bold progressive agenda on the part of the new governor of California, uh, Gavin Newsom. I also had time to um, spend some time with my friend Mary Nichols, who is the head of the Air Resources Board in California. She has been the leader in the efforts. Uh, toward climate change in California. Uh, she's the one who has um, said that they've got standards for uh, new cars in California, that even if Donald Trump uh, reduces the mileage, uh, gas mileage standards around the rest of the country, California is not going to change, which means that manufacturers are going to have to manufacture one kind of car for California and one for the rest of the nation, which they will never do. Uh, she, the leading state uh, state leader uh, in climate change efforts uh, and clean air efforts around the country and has been for a long time, and she's staying in that job uh, under Pres- uh, Governor Gavin Newsom. So good for California and good to be back with you, uh, but sad to be back in the middle of this continuing um, artificial crisis, really, manufactured by Donald Trump. And we have day 18 of the Trump shutdown, 800,000 federal workers who are still forced to work with no paycheck. Two of them, one one our son, one our daughter-in-law in in our family. Uh, And let me tell you, you hear more and more stories. I mean, this is tough, particularly for people who do live from paycheck to paycheck, who don't have that extra uh, pile of money in the bank that they can turn to. Uh, at a time like this, they, they you know, mortgage is still due, car payments are still due, still got to buy food for the kids, still got to pay tuition, payment, whatever, uh, and they're not getting that paycheck. Um, it is tough, really tough. Now we're seeing uh, more and more signs of that, how, how that is impacting American families. People doing GoFund projects just to pay their mortgage. Um, federal agencies are putting out um, you know, memos about here's what you can do to kind of get through until you get another paycheck. Um, and 51,000 TSA employees are starting to feel the heat too. There they are every day. And boy, we really depend on them. And some of them are starting to call in sick saying, what the hell? I mean, why should I go to work if I'm not getting paid, right? Uh, if that happens and those long lines start at the airport, you bet there'll be some quick resolution of this, uh, of this, of this shutdown. Uh, in the meantime, Donald Trump is just digging in his heels and asking for more money. Now he wants five point seven billion dollars for the wall, which he now says doesn't have to be a concrete wall; it can be a steel wall. In fact, we'll get to this in just a second. Uh, he, he says that we don't even—I uh, never even said it was going to be a concrete wall. Oh yes, he did. Again, we'll get to that in a second. So he wants $5.7 billion for that wall. And then, on top of that, he wants $7 billion. On top of that now, asking $7 billion for other security measures. Guess hiring more guards. I mean, how many guards can you put down there, right? You got, they, go, well, they got one guard for every person who ever thought about coming up to, north to the border. It is, but again, mostly it is a totally, totally manufactured crisis. Uh, we do not have a crisis at the border. 
And we certainly do not have an emergency. And Donald Trump is even saying, of course, that he may declare, take, seize emergency powers, meaning overriding the Congress and paying for the money himself out of other funds like any good dictator would do, uh, which is, of course, uh, who Donald Trump sees that he is. Uh, so all, all we heard from him over the weekend, uh, let's listen to some of it, was what an emergency there is. What an emergency. Here he is. This is last Friday um, in the uh, Rose Garden. Absolutely. We can call a national emergency because of the security of our country. Absolutely. No, we can do it. I haven't done it. I may do it. I may do it. But we can call a national emergency and build it very quickly. Uh, he says that. Not all lawyers agree with him, and a lot, not all constitutional scholars agree with him, um, by, the, by the way. I mean, we know the Constitution. Congress appropriates funds. The president cannot do it under the Constitution. There are certain emergency powers where there is a real emergency, and in order for, if, let's say, the Congress is out of session for the president to, to be able to act quickly, there are some emergency powers. Whether that would fit this situation is something that most constitutional lawyers uh, disagree with, but he could always find somebody in the Justice Department in the White House to tell him he might have the authority. It would definitely be challenged in court, but Donald Trump just continues to assert he's got this authority and he would use it. Uh, that was Friday, we heard. Here, the next day, he's going out to um, uh, Camp David for a day of meetings, and he says again, I can declare an emergency. We're looking at a national emergency because we have a national emergency. Just read the papers. We have a crisis at the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's see. Judge Napolitano, Andrew Napolitano, the f legal analyst for Fox News, uh, is uh, one of those lawyers who says, not so fast, Mr. President. The president has valid emergency authorities in a time of a true emergency, but he can't spend money and he can't take property unless the Congress has authorized it. That's directly from the Constitution. Right. Good for Napolitano. Yeah, what is the Constitution? Know, What's the Bill? Constitution? Right. Exactly. Uh, and if we can jump forward to um, Congressman Jerry Nadler. Now he's he's one of the smartest guys in Congress. He's going. He's the new head of the Senate Judici uh, House Judiciary Committee. Uh, he was down at the border, went down to tour the uh, border facilities there, and he says this idea of declaring a national emergency, dangerous territory. We would certainly oppose any attempt by the president to make himself a king and a tyrant by saying that he can appropriate money without Congress. That is perhaps uh, the most dangerous thing he is talking about since he became president. So is there a national emergency? Lie number one. Uh, is there, line number two that we've heard from him recently is, you know, um, former presidents should have done this, and but they didn't, but I'm doing it. Uh, but every other president of, of some of the former presidents, at least a couple of them, he never says exactly how many, agree with him. They say that, yes, they support this wall. <clears throat> well, reporters have tracked down Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. They all say BS. Yeah. Jimmy oh, every Carter, one of them Jimmy said Jimmy Carter was the last BS, one. BS, right. Jimmy, they, got, they got a hold of Jimmy Carter yesterday. Yeah, said, no, 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 we are, we are not for this wall. No, absolutely not. So who's he communicating with here? Yeah, which, which president are we talking about? James Polk? 
I mean, is he... <laughs> Gotta be know? Andrew Jackson. Could be Andrew Jackson. Gotta be communicating with Andrew Jackson. Yeah, they have a seance at the White House. Yeah. yeah. Nancy Reagan lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that's another lie. And then the other lie is, well, the crisis is because... so, And this is right from Donald Trump. Because so many terrorists are coming across the border. And we have to stop. This is a national security. In fact, that's what Mike, Mike Pence says. We have a humanitarian crisis and a national security crisis because so many terrorists are coming across the border. Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Fox News Sunday making this claim. Chris Wallace calls her out. We know that roughly nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists come into our country illegally. And we know that our most vulnerable point of entry wait, is wait, at wait, our wait, southern wait, border. I know this statistic. I didn't know yeah. if you were going to use it, but I studied up on this. Do you know where those 4,000 people come or where they're captured? The airports. Not always, but uh, airports. certainly a The State Department number. says there hasn't been any terrorists certainly, that they found coming across the southern border It's by air, from it's by land, and it's by sea. Oh, yeah, she backs up real right away. I didn't say just by land. Yeah, right. That, by the way, Chris is really on to something there. The actual flow of people coming across the border physically from the south is down. Like way down. Like way, way, way down. The vast majority of people who are here illegally came here by airplanes. They came on planes with visas, and they overstayed their visas. That's why they're here illegally. So the only way a wall is going to stop them if the wall is 38,000 feet high and no plane can get through it, right? It's just it, it, Again, it's just so absurd that we're talking about this. Uh, NBC News reported last night um, that, in fact, instead of 4,000 in the first six months of 2018, not 4,000, how many came across the border? I mean, how many were apprehended at the border, not because they were terrorists, but because they were on a terrorist suspect list, which is, remember, Teddy Kennedy was once on the terrorist suspect oh, yeah. list. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's not the same thing as being a member of ISIS or Al-Qaeda or whatever. Uh, Julia Ainsley from uh, NBC, MSNBC points out the real number. That is a much lower number than 4,000. Again, we're only talking about the first half of 2018, not the full year. We don't have the data that goes through the full year. But I think that if you're just monitoring that trend, that there are only six arrested in six months, it'd be pretty difficult to see how you would ever get anything near 4,000. Six. Six. Yes, that's right. She said not 60, not 600. Six in the first. So for six, we're going to spend... $25 billion and build a wall on the southern border. Uh, and by the way, though, okay, then the other lie is, what's this wall going to be made of? Uh, now Donald Trump says, look, um, if they don't want a concrete wall, then we can build a wall of steel slats or something. I never said a concrete wall. In fact, Caitlin Collins from CNN uh, while he was um, on his way out to, I believe it was on his way out over the this weekend. This was in the Rose Garden. This was in the this, Rose oh, Garden. Oh, this was in the Rose yeah, Garden, yeah. 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 Um, so what about that you promised a concrete wall? Your campaign promising supporters that Mexico is going to pay for the wall, well, and that the again. wall was going to be okay. made of concrete. You as far as concrete, uh, I said I was going to build a wall. I never said, I'm going to build a concrete. I said I'm going to build a wall. You've said concrete. Just so you don't, because I know you're not into the construction business. Oh, no, like I am. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. he's super condescending about it. Oh, totally, yeah. Uh, oh, here we go again. Oh, yeah. Here we go again, meaning somebody pointing out you're not telling the truth. Oh, God, this is not your job. Yes, it is. It's our job to tell the truth. 
It's not his job to lie, but that's all he does. So uh, what about it? Well, let's go back 20. We all remember this stuff over and over again. We heard it. Here we go. Donald Trump, candidate Trump, 2015. I'll tell you what it's going to be made of. It's going to be made of hardened concrete, and it's going to be made out of rebar and steel. So it's going to be made out of concrete, rebar, rebar steel, and we're going to set them in nice, heavy foundations. By the way, this was one of those clips that we just sort of forgot about. Yeah. In 2015. Just a little boy. Ask him, though. He was like seven years old, six years old, and he asks him from the crowd, and Trump demands that he come up on stage. Trump then grabs the boy... like under his arms, and mm-hmm. lifts him up to the microphone, and the boy says, Mr. Trump, what is the wall going to be built out of? And then that's where he goes on this rant about hardened concrete. Yeah. Of all the manic things that happened during the 2016 election. I want to hear that again. Yeah, all right. sure. Here we go. I'll tell you what it's going to be made of. It's going to be made of hardened concrete, oh. and it's going to be made out of rebar and oh. steel. So it's going to be made out of concrete, rebar, rebar steel, and we're going to set them in nice, heavy foundations. There you go. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Rebar steel. Rebar steel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and hardened concrete. Uh, oh, God. As opposed to the other kind of concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is soft concrete. Right. <laughs> You've all fought on those soft concrete sidewalks. <laughs> oh, it's just the lies go on and on. And the latest now is, so, um, of course... They've made an exception, an exemption or exception, I guess, to the to the shutdown for so-called uh, emergency or essential personnel. Um, they, mil- the military and some others, getting paid, um, but they had also, but but so many other people are covered, including the IRS. So until yesterday, the White House was saying, oh, no, 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 the IRS, they're, yeah, they're federal employees and they're not essential employees, God forbid, uh, to collect our taxes. Uh, so uh, those people who, who uh, they're just not going to be there and they're not going to be able to do their job. Um, so in terms of tax refunds due in April, you may not get them. Uh, <laughs> uh, yesterday, the White House reversed itself saying, no, we're going to make sure that, in fact, the director of the IRS had said, no, we're not going to be able to send out tax refunds. Yesterday, the White House reversed itself and ordered the IRS to bring enough people in to send out the tax refunds, which just proves, I just want to point that out, that they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're making it up as they go along. Uh, but again, in the meantime, more and more families hurting, uh, not just the federal employees, but those d- who depend on the federal employees, I saw a story last night on the news about uh, businesses, particularly restaurants around federal buildings, uh, empty today, uh, where the that used to be their their number one source of people coming in for breakfast or for lunch. They're not there. They're on furlough. I got to tell 800, you, eight hundred thousand on furlough. I got to tell you though, uh, traffic in the city has never been better. Uh, that's true. That another thing. Yeah. Wow. Right. I mean, it, it, you, th- that number, I, I don't think, can be uh, said enough. 800,000 people. 800,000 people. And, and think of the multiplier effect of that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And there's a, a a great political analyst, Bill, that you might know. His name is Snoop Dogg. Uh, mm-hmm. And he put, he put out a, a video saying, if any of you, and I can't use the language that he used, but if any of you vote for Donald Trump in 2020, there's something seriously wrong with you. Seriously wrong with you.
because this is all Trump. This is not like, oh, the government's doing this or, you know, Democrats or Republicans can't find. No, this is purely Donald Trump. Yeah, purely Donald Trump, which uh, Chuck Schumer and again, I think both Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have uh, done an extraordinary job of holding a line against Donald Trump. Chuck Schumer pointing out yesterday, reminding us again, this is all this is all one man. Here we are in the third week of the Trump shutdown. Why? It's only because of one person, and that is President Trump. It's Donald Trump. Uh, Absolutely. Donald Trump, with the mighty assistance of Mitch McConnell. We keep coming back to Mitch McConnell, who, again, has said he won't do anything in the Senate until there's a bill that Donald Trump says ahead of time that he will sign. Uh, Chuck Schumer telling us what it's like. So Donald Trump invited Democrats again back to the White House today. Why Why should they go? This time they just said... Uh, no, we're not going to come for another f- stupid photo stunt, publicity stunt on the part of Donald Trump. Chuck Schumer says this is what it's like trying to negotiate with Donald Trump. I once said negotiating with him is like negotiating with Jello because he says one thing one day and then changes his mind the next. But we will continue to persist. And persist they have been. And so that leads up to tonight's. Big um, address to the nation from the Oval Office. The White House has requested prime time from the networks. He attacks them daily, uh, has called them the enemy of the American people, uh, fake news, on and on and on. Uh, nevertheless, the networks, they're still they're so afraid of Donald Trump that they have given him prime time tonight to address the nation and try to make the case for a crisis at the border, which necessitates the building of this wall and giving him $25 billion for it, starting with the 5.7 that he wants today. Uh, let's remember, first of all, I just the, the fact that the networks would give him this time is just outrageous. They're such cowards. Uh, and what are their standards? Back in 2014, I think it was, uh, the, President Obama wanted to address the nation from the Oval Office on the issue of immigration. At that time, he was seeking comprehensive immigration reform, including, I believe, protection for the dreamers. And the network said, oh, no, 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 no. This is just a political speech. We will not give Barack Obama, President Obama, network time. They're giving it to Donald Trump. And you know damn well, as well as I do, this is going to be nothing but a political speech and nothing but full of lies, full of lies. He's going to tell us again how many people are coming across the border, how many terrorists, how many drug dealers, how many rapists, how many murderers. Uh, you, you, you could hear him. He's going to blame it all on Democrats. He's going to praise himself over and over again about he's got the, he's, got, he's the one who's bold enough and courageous enough to, to hold the line here. Uh, he's going to claim that former presidents agree with the wall. He's going to claim that federal employees who are not getting a paycheck still love him and love the fact that he's holding a line. He's going to tell all those lies, and the networks are giving him time to do it. You know what? They ought to. They ought, first of all, they ought to say no, or they ought to make him pay for the freaking time. Right? He's got the money. His campaign's got the money. Or how about this? They should give Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer equal time. This is a political stunt. 
And if they're going to hear the lies of Donald Trump, then we should hear the truth from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Uh, I got to say, this is a real test, I believe, for the American media and, for the, and for the networks. Look, I, I saw yeah. a lot of sniping back and forth on Twitter yesterday about saying, you know, oh, Donald Trump is the president. He has a right to address the nation. and He doesn't have a right to. Yeah, this is different. Absolutely. This is different because you know what we're going to get. It's going to be, I mean, they have they, they have been telling provable lies about the, uh, what's happening at the border uh, for a long time now. And, okay, fine, he's the president. You want to give him airtime? Okay, whatever. But you have to have somebody to balance that out. Uh, I think they ought to do two things. Number one, they've got to give it Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who have, who have demanded it, ask for it, demanded it, maybe too strong. They, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, they should get that. They should get equal time. You know the other thing. Who is that guy? Remember the. Uh, they should have somebody on. While the president is speaking, they should have a Chiron rebutting his lies. Who, yeah, sure. Remember the old commercial. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a guy. It was. It, it was very famous. This guy was talking, and while he was talking. Yeah, there's a Chiron sort of Chiron. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, I mean, look, you could you could put the speech in a delay, and as he tells things that are obviously false, you could tell the viewers that they this is get, not true. They should get Glenn Kessler from the Washington Post. Sure, yeah. Who does that fact check thing? Yeah, every, well, yeah. Have him up there and just like a simultan like a you know a simultaneous translator. Three Pinocchios, four Pinocchios. Right, right. Two Pinocchios. Just uh, not How true. bad is the lie? Uh, not true. Here's the truth. Yeah, Man. not true. Is it? I'll tell you what. They could. It would be possible to do it because he's told the same lies so many times. You know what lies he's going to say. So we they know could. What's coming. They could have the script ahead. Of, they, they could write the script ahead of time. I could write the script right now. What Donald Trump's going to say tonight, right? So get ready and rebut every one of them. Anyhow, outrageous that we're going to be subjected to that tonight. Um, but. Um, Networks have made that decision. Now let's see if they follow up the way that they should. Hey, we're just getting started here. Man, off and running on a Tuesday, uh, January 8th. Uh, we'll find out more about um, maybe some cracks in the dam in the House and in the Senate among Republicans. Uh, Jennifer Schutt joins us next from Roll Call here on the Bill Press Show. A quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Tuesday, January 8th. Hello, hello. Good to have you with us. And thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, January 8th, coming to you live from our nation's capital, most powerful city on the planet. Uh, And we are brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Talk about the shutdown. They are... uh, some of the people who are most directly directly affected, and the AFGE, under the leadership of President J. David Cox, has sued the Trump administration for this shutdown, saying they are exceeding their authority under the law by shutting down the government. Find out more about their good work and this lawsuit at their website, afge.org. Uh, right in the middle, running uh, around the hill to keep up with senators and members of Congress, uh, in the middle of this shutdown and what they're going to do about it. Uh, among those reporters, Jennifer Shutt from Roll Call, uh, who's kind enough to come in and join us this morning. Hi, Jennifer. It's good to see you. Yeah, great to be back. Uh, we'll find out uh, more about what's going on here. But first, I wanted to catch up with uh, Peter, who's been 
tracking comments so far this morning. Yes, yes, indeed. Lots of comments uh, on Twitter at BP Show. Let me just first of all thank everybody for reminding me that Alabama lost the national championship oh, yes, game last yes, night. Good. Oh, yeah. I uh, went to the University of What was of that final score? Uh, it doesn't matter. The score is really, it was pretty close. It was pretty close. Do we say low tide <laughs> instead of oh, roll tide? Somebody put out it was rolled <laughs> tide. The tide got rolled last night. It was 44 to 16 was the final score. Thank you everybody for reminding me. Yeah. Uh, like I didn't stay up and watch it. And but I we, thank you for sticking it to Peter. But we got lots of other comments. We got oh, lots of other oh. comments on other issues besides just that game. Uh, let's first of all go to uh, Game Over on Twitter. Game Over says uh, Donald Trump demands airtime. Then the network should demand a copy of the speech one hour ahead of time. It gives them plenty of time to fact check and be prepared. As uh, I was pointing out. Yeah. yeah. Also. Uh, we know. We, we could give them the speech right now. We've yeah, heard it, it for it, the last. Yeah. Uh, two years. Exactly. Uh, Susan Shepard says, I wonder how business is doing at Trump's hotel in D.C. I think business is doing just fine. I don't think it's government workers that are uh, paying the bills there at the uh, Trump hotel. Uh, no, uh, the Saudis are still spending lots of money there. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. And Holly says. Other businesses, by sure. the way, are hurting. Yeah. yeah. Holly says, now that the networks are caving in and allowing Trump to uh, address the nation, he will finally stop calling them fake news. Oh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. And, and I'm the queen of Romania. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Right. Uh, so, Jennifer, Congress uh, out for the weekend. They come back today. Uh, and um, first of all, members of Congress are still getting paid, aren't they? Yeah, well, because... Oh, the, boy, essential, essential well, services. Well, no, because some of the spending bills for fiscal 2019 were enacted on time, and legislative branch is one of them, as was Department of Defense, Military Construction, VA, Labor HHS Education. So that's why a lot of us are referring to it as a partial government shutdown, because mm-hmm. it's mostly impacting those nine cabinet departments, not all cabinet departments. Okay, so um, the Democrats have a plan, pardon me, to... Um, eight out of nine of those departments to get them up and running again for an extended period of time, right? Yeah. And one of them, Department of Homeland Security, to be open, reopened for a month at least, during which time they'll negotiate the wall, right? Yeah, and the House passed those legislation, those two legislative packages last week, okay. mostly along party line votes. Right. Now, uh, aren't they going to have some more votes this week. Yeah, and this is an interesting tactic from Democrats. So they did that package of six of the remaining on seven. On the very first day they were in yeah, session. Yeah, they were sworn Thursday, in, right. moved on immediately to spending bill votes. And so yeah. they sent those over to the Senate. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said all along that he's only going to bring spending legislation to the floor once there's a bipartisan agreement that Trump will sign into law. And so one of the things that House Democrats are doing to try to increase pressure on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is to now start passing these remaining bills individually and sort of really highlighting in floor speeches and in interviews and things like that what it means if, say, Treasury and IRS don't Mm -hmm. reopen Mm -hmm. on time. And this has sort of been interesting to watch because as Democrats tout out these sort of negative impacts of the shutdown and how they're impacting everyday Americans and federal workers, we've seen the Trump administration kind of tried to roll back some of these. So one of the first bill, the first bill that House Democrats are planning to vote on is the bill that includes Treasury and IRS funding this week, of course, because tax return season is coming up. So now the administration is saying that people will, in fact, be able to get their their tax returns, which is yeah, interesting. I see. Right. 
So they'll take it, for example, um, as, you, as you point out, one day they'll vote on Treasury and IRS, and they'll talk about all the ways that's impacting the American people, the shutdown of those mm-hmm. agencies. Yeah. Then they could go to agriculture, right, yeah. or to transportation. That's uh, exactly the plan. Interior yeah. environment, too, Which at which point in time we'll be hearing a lot about the national parks impacts. Right. Okay. Um, are those votes that's reported? I saw one report this morning that um, there are expected to be a good number of Republicans who will join Democrats and actually vote for these bills to reopen the government while negotiations continue. That's going to be the interesting thing to watch for is how many Republicans really break away from their party. And especially in the House, I believe the magic number is 55 Republicans gets us to that two thirds threshold, which then would be a whole new level of pressure on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Right, right. No, you absolutely. So what I saw this morning is that they expect even Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy expect 15 to 25 to break. If they can hold the line. The goal is to hold it under under 55 because 55 gets to 290 and 290 is a veto proof majority. Yeah, which is not a message that I imagine McCarthy and Scalise want going out now. (laughs) Hell no. And it's not what Donald Trump wants. Oh, no. But it would be stunning if they could get to that. But the question is, uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch to see how many Republicans will really be willing to – you know, fall on their sword, basically, for Donald Trump, which is what McCarthy and Scalise are asking them to do. Yeah. And I'm personally interested to see, because when we had that package last week that was all six clumped together, I think we had five Mm -hmm. Republicans vote for it. Um, But -hmm. I'm curious to see how that number changes when you bring up each individual bill and sort of what that tells us as the House Republican Conference as a whole right now, where their priorities are on spending legislation and reopening government. It's going to be uh, really interesting. Uh, I'll be interested to see it because it, it, it does seem to me that it's asking a lot on the part of Republican leadership, asking a lot of their members to defend the president, you know, uh, all the way toward what that might mean in their district, right, um, yeah. by, by continuing to support the shutdown when there is a viable option to get the government open again without giving up on the wall. I mean, they can say, no, I want these other government agencies to – be operating to be reopened while we're still debating the wall and trying to negotiate the funding for the border. And we're hearing that from Republicans as well, especially in the Senate, Senator Susan Collins and Senator Cordy Gardner. And I think you said now Senator Tim, Senator Tom Tillis from North Carolina, which surprises me because he's as conservative as you can get. I was a little surprised by that. So we're seeing more and more Republicans sort of get on board and say, let's just negotiate while the government is open. Let's just get some type of spending legislation passed. I'm curious how those conversations go with within the Senate Republican conference and whether or not that changes anything with the calculations that McConnell has made so far. Right. Uh, there's something else going on in the Senate, as you know, which is that uh, our good friend uh, Chris Van Hollen from uh, Maryland, where a lot of federal employees <laughs> live, um, uh, has now lined up a good number of senators, Democrats, who have said, we are not going to vote for any bill in the Senate until uh, we reopen the government. Uh, And I know that uh, Ben Cardin from Maryland, Tim Kaine from Virginia, Tom Carper, I don't know about Chris Coons, but from Delaware. But, I mean, there's at least 
10 or 12 Democrats so far who have joined on to that. I think Chuck Schumer himself has said he's not going to vote for the first bill. I believe so. Now, that could really, again, put stall things down, right? And Oh, yeah. That could have a huge negative impact on the Senate advancing anything until <laughs> spending is resolved. Why, what significant, uh, should we see any significance in the fact that when Donald Trump left the meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, with the congressional leaders, including the Democrats, last Wednesday, maybe? I forget now, losing track. I think track. Friday. They had a meeting on Friday? Wednesday and Friday, I believe. Right. Well, then he went out to the, when he went out to the Rose Garden afterwards. That was Friday, yeah. Friday. Uh, so standing behind him, of course, was Mike Pence and Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy. No Mitch McConnell. Why wasn't Mitch McConnell there? So a lot of us asked Senator McConnell's office that very question. And the official answer that we got is that he and Senator Thune were not, who's the whip now, were not aware that there was going to be some type of press availability that everyone was supposed to go to in the Rose Garden afterwards. So that's the uh, official uh, answer. Do you believe that? <laughs> I'm going to reserve judgment for now. I think in some of these situations, things can move very quickly and people don't exactly communicate uh, well with each other. Jennifer, <laughs> <laughs> let me just say, McConnell's at the White House. He's in the Oval Office. And all those other Republicans walk out there. It just totally stretches credibility to say that he didn't know that he was The optics invited. Were, were interesting. Optics were interesting, yeah. And, and obviously, McConnell must be starting, don't you think, to feel the heat from some of his members. We've seen three of them break with him publicly. The, privately, others have to be saying to him, Mitch, what are you doing to us, right? That's what I'm really curious about is the private conversations at this point in, t- this point in time. Because if we have Republicans like Gardner and Tillis coming out and saying that they are they want some type of at least a continuing resolution, that temporary funding bill to pass and reopen government, I feel like it's only a matter of time before senior appropriators start coming out. I mean, Senator Collins is, of course, a senior appropriator. She chairs the Transportation HUD subcommittee. But I think it's I think we could see Senator Murkowski come out and say something similar. I think we're going to see more and more people sort of especially in high ranking positions come out and say that they want these bills to pass. And then whether or not he changes and actually brings them to the floor for a vote will be interesting to watch in the next couple of weeks, especially because. Friday is the first day that most civilian federal employees will miss their first paycheck of the year. So they receive their last paycheck in December, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first paycheck they're really going to miss. Would be this Friday. Yeah. And so this is when a lot of us, when we were in the early days of the shutdown, we really thought that this sort of Wednesday would be the hard deadline for them to get something just so that you, know, you could process payroll and get it in people's bank accounts by Friday and things like that. But seems like, you know, with Trump's Oval Office address tonight and his trip to the border, it really seems like, you know, this could go on into next week. All right. So if Congress is not going to play ball, uh, then Donald Trump is just saying, who needs Congress? Right. Uh, I'll just do it myself. I'll declare a national emergency and over and do this end run uh, around the Congress and put up the money myself from, I don't know where he would get it. But Yeah, this is going to be really interesting to watch from the constitutional perspective, the legal perspective, and then where he's actually going to propose bringing this money from, right? Because Congress controls spending. The president does not. And well, so- but if you, if you um, 
absolve the con- you know d- dissolve the constitution I don't think he has the authority to do that <laughs> but I don't either but I mean at that point certainly some group of republicans are going to stand up and say whoa wait a minute right yeah you would think yeah for now it sounds like trump is mostly using this national emergency issue as a threat and he's still saying at this point in time that he wants congress to figure something out because i think even he his advisors have to be telling him that this would be a legal issue that would probably work its way to the supreme court at some point in time i also really think what would be interesting if he actually tries to do this is where would he try to pull that money from because remember treasury can't spend money pentagon i think it would have to be military construction which is a separate bill from the Department of Defense bill. Mm -hmm. And so you would be pulling money away from military construction for on-base housing, medical facilities, all these things that really impact readiness and just the morale of our troops. And I, I really don't see Republicans wanting him to pull any military construction money from any of the accounts. I know. All of us think that there's got to be some breaking point where, right, where Republicans could just say, I can no longer go with this guy, you know, 100% the way I've been doing. Now, maybe that's wishful thinking. One would think that this would be the point. But, you know, we've seen so many other, like the Access, starting with the Access Hollywood tape, I guess, where you thought that would be all you need and nothing has worked so far. So yeah. I think most Republicans... I mean, it doesn't take a political genius to realize at some point in time the power structure is going to shift. We're not always going to have a Republican president. We're not always going to have a Republican Senate or a Democratic House. Even these things move back and forth between party control. And so I think there's going to be a lot of concerns about if Trump actually moves forward with this and thinks that he has the authority to circumvent Congress's spending authority, what does that mean for future presidents? What does that mean for Congress's role? I mean, they take their appropriations process very seriously. They hold that in very high regard. And Mitch McConnell is an appropriator. Nancy Pelosi says all the time that she was forged in the Appropriations Committee. They are neither of them. I can't see a situation where either of them wants to cede that authority to the executive branch, just based on principle. Uh, Speaking of Mitch McConnell, remind me... Uh, I mean, uh, 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 just reassure me that I'm not crazy, that I remember Mitch McConnell not that long ago, maybe as recently as two weeks ago, saying about a shutdown, nobody wants a shutdown. None of us want a shutdown. And we're going to do everything we can to avoid a shutdown. I mean, right? Yeah, that's something he said all along. Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby has said something very similar for months. They don't want this. Right. And now Mitch McConnell is saying, I'm not going to do anything about it unless the president tells me ahead of time he'll sign a bill. I mean, that total reversal on the part of McConnell. I don't know if it's a total reversal. I think when he put forward that stopgap spending bill in late December that would have funded all nine of these departments through February 8th, I think he genuinely thought there was enough support to that's pass right. it in the House and for Trump to sign it into law. And that, so that's those well, aren't necessarily opposing. Right. Realities. No, that, 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 that's a good reminder that what Pelosi and Schumer are proposing now in the House did pass the Senate. Well, not exactly. The Senate passed legislation, that continuing resolution, that stopgap spending right. bill that would have been for all nine departments okay. and the several agencies. Right. But, what they're proposing is the six bill package or individual bills at this point that have already 
passed or come right. out of the Senate Appropriations Committee and a DHS stopgap. But, but, uh, let me so put the Senate it, didn't exactly just let vote me put on it a DHS stopgap. But the Senate did vote for a bill that did not include funding for the wall. Additional funding for the wall right. or higher right. funding levels right. for new sections. Yes. And at that time, because this, this was the last show that we did, I did, before Christmas, and as you're right, they all lined up at the time. The White House was saying we could support this. Uh, we'll find the money somewhere else. And Paul Ryan at the time said they thought they could pass it in the House. And that's when Mark Meadows went down to the White House and had this talk with Donald Trump. And then suddenly the whole thing blew up. Yeah. Well, I think the the conversation that you're talking about wasn't just Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. I think Speaker Ryan and McCarthy were in the, the meeting as well. But Mark Meadows was. Yeah. yeah. But it was a group of them. Meadows was the one who, as head of the Freedom Caucus, who really had the most had the had the strongest objections to what it looked like was going to happen. Yeah, they didn't want this border wall issue to move right. into the new Congress. All right, so let's talk I want to talk a little bit not much time left here about the new members of Congress. Um what are you seeing about from this new these freshmen in Congress? I mean, they're dancing in the halls. How dare they? Remember Congress dance? I mean, all politics aside, God. as a millennial, I don't find dancing that scandalous. No. I what? I, I watched that and I was sort of really surprised. I thought we're supposed to be scandalized that she is fully clothed dancing on a roof. Like that's I don't know anyone who made it through college without doing something similar. Uh, I have to say, I watched the video, and I uh, really need to just say that uh, she is awesome. Yes. She's awesome. Yes. Like, she's it's so cr- great. Yeah. And so her response is not to, oh, I'm sorry I was so unladylike. I'm sorry it's I did something. It's not unladylike, no. first of all. Exactly. Right. Yes, exactly. So then she just dances in front of her office, right, on the hill, puts out that video. She is one savvy person. She really is. Yeah. But I mean, this idea that Republicans would make a big deal of that, right? After the past couple years and covering and watching the ethical issues that some Republicans have had with respect to sexual harassment. So what do you expect from this freshman class? I mean, they're a pretty lively, rowdy bunch, right? Um, I'm really curious to see where I this love all it. goes. I love it. Right. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. We definitely have a much more diverse Congress right now, um, which is always good to see. And so I'm really curious to see how this this they seem to all be coming in with a lot of energy. They're very excited to be here. They're very passionate about their core issues, climate change, of which is one. So I'm very curious to see how this energy and enthusiasm and momentum that they seem to have translates into policy and what that I'm really curious to I almost want to try to find a new freshman member, especially if one gets on appropriations and kind of track their first two years and check in with them to see, because I think a lot of times when new members come to Congress, they don't understand how slow the process can be up here. Yeah. So I think a lot of people come in and think, oh, we're going to have this this select panel on climate change and we're going to get a Green New Deal and it's going to be amazing and that's going to happen in the first two years. And I think there's going to be a lot of reality that has to come into play here. Yeah, and you know, and a, and a lot of people, I'm sure, are telling them, you can't make waves. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep your head down for the first couple of years, and you know, get established and make sure everybody likes you, whatever. And but, but this gang is not listening to that, right? They yeah, seem I'm not to be sure saying, look, the... we've got we're members of Congress, I and mean, our votes the same, equal vote to anybody else, and we were elected to come in here and shake things up. 
Yeah, I don't think the calculus that these freshman members are making is, I need to keep my head down and read CRS uh, reports all day. Right. They're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as much as I love reading CRS reports, don't get me wrong, they're extremely <laughs> valuable tools. The Congressional Research Service is amazing. Huge fan. But they're, it's a very different atmosphere than what we saw a decade ago or 25 years ago Absolutely. in terms of listen to the party bosses, stay in line. They're energized and they want to see their legislation become law. And so that's going to be very interesting to watch sort of how that happens, especially with the Republican Senate and then Trump in the White House. And they may ruffle some feathers. They will ruffle some feathers along the way, maybe even break a few rules or whatever. But it's uh, it's it's house is never going to be the same again. (laughs) Never look the same and never be the same, I think so. Uh, makes your job all the more interesting. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, you can follow Jennifer, of course, at Roll Call, rollcall.com. Jennifer Shutt. Thanks so much, Jennifer, for coming in. Yeah, thanks. For uh, and we want to talk about that important issue of voting rights and how to make voting easier for Americans. Coming up next with Kate Calvin from Spread the Vote. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is day 18 of the Trump shutdown, and uh, the pain and suffering is getting worse and worse and spreading across the nation, while Donald Trump just digs in his heels deeper and deeper. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go on a Tuesday, January 8th. Great to be back with you. After a little trip to California to celebrate the uh, great legacy of Governor Jerry Brown uh, and the ascension of uh, the new governor of California, Gavin Newsom, out there yesterday for that. Back with you today in the middle of the shutdown mess, which is only going to get uh, worse today when Donald Trump uh, gives an Oval Office address from the uh, address from the Oval Office to the American people Tonight at 9 o'clock Eastern, trying to make the case that there's a crisis at the border which demands that we spend $25 billion for his stupid wall. We've got that covered, plus all the other news of the day as we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Whether it's happening here in Washington, around the country, or around the globe, we've got it covered. We'll tell you what's going on and look forward to hearing from you as to what it all means to you. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, as we join you online, on television, and on the radio, coast to coast, on this beautiful Tuesday, January 8th. Joining us in studio to talk about the issue of, very important issue, of voting rights and um, how to make it encourage people to vote and make it easier for people to vote everywhere in this country. Kat Calvin is the founder of a great organization called Spread the Vote. 
and Project ID. Hello, Katz. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for what you're doing. I uh, look forward to hearing more about it. And again, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This over to Peter. Court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, yesterday, the Supreme Court sat down for some arguments, but they were missing one mm-hmm. member. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not there yesterday. It's the first time that she missed arguments in 25 years. Now, she is recuperating from surgery to remove uh, some uh, cancerous growths from her left lung. The surgery happened. On December 21st, she is okay. She's fine. She's recuperating at home and working from home after the surgery, but she was not able to be there yesterday. Uh, It was not clear when she would be back, by the way. They are going to continue arguments this week and next, so we're not sure when she's going to uh, show back up to work. But we send her, of course, all the best wishes. Get down on my knees every night and pray for the long life for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling RBG. you. She's a tough old lady. She is. So, she, so I mean, I'm look, counting on her to be back. Absolutely. But, you know, we would hope she's back very, nervous. very soon. Very, very soon. So Denver, Colorado has led the way in terms of decriminalizing and legalizing recreational marijuana. So Mile high, baby. What's next? Well, activists have now put 8,000 signatures on a ballot. To decriminalize magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms could be next. You know what I'm talking about. The psychedelic mushrooms that uh, Mm. you can ingest. Uh, They are trying to say we want this to be decriminalized for adults 21 and older. Uh, making it sort of the lowest law enforcement priority, and it would bar the use of city resources to impose penalties upon people who get caught with these uh, psilocybin uh, mushrooms, or psychedelic mushrooms, as, as you probably know them better. This is so much like the hippie days in San Francisco it's that back, I once baby. knew. And yeah. Hey, you don't like this reality? Find a reality that you do like. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough out there, man. Do what you got to do. <laughs> I'm all for it. Where do these psychedelic mushrooms grow? Well, Bill, I'm glad you asked. They actually, the reason that they become psychedelic mushrooms yeah. is, they, is they grow on cow patties. They grow through cow patties. And that is what makes them psychedelic mushrooms. I got to rethink this. We have a 420 <laughs> show. Maybe we should do a mushroom show. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, January 8th, yes, get ready. You want to see the biggest lies you've ever seen on television? Tune in tonight on any network as Donald Trump addresses the nation from the Oval Office. Why did they give him that time? And will they give Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi equal time to tell the truth after Donald Trump is finished? That's the big question. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, January 8th, great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And our studio, right in the heart of the action here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building. We can see it from uh, our corner right here, and they can hear us (laughs) from where they are, uh, and they can hear you. So we are uh, coming to you live coast to coast all across this great land of ours 
online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, and, of course, on the radio out in the Chicago area, city of Chicago, and all the surrounding area of, of Chicago, the great uh, suburb, suburban communities there on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, the Voting Rights Act, um, after the Civil Rights Act, probably the greatest uh, uh, civil rights legislation ever in the history of the country, but um, believe it or not, here in the 21st century, we're still struggling um, to reach the goals of the Voting Rights Act. Spread the Vote is an organization that's taken that on as a mission under the leadership of founder Kat Calvin, who joins us in studio. Kat, it's good to see you. Good to be here. What is the situation today with on voting rights uh, in this country? I mean, one would think that we, after 1965, we just keep making more and more progress, expanding the right to vote and the opportunity to vote across the country. Hasn't really worked out that way, has it? Uh, no, I'm, and you sort of mentioned the reason why. The Voting Rights Act, which was an extraordinary piece of legislation um, and opened up voting to millions of citizens who didn't have it before, I did a lot to protect and promote the right for every American to uh, to be able to vote. But in 2013, we lost that. So in 2013, uh, there was a Supreme Court case called <laughs> Shelby County v. Holder, um, in which the Supreme Court decided that since we have a black president, racism is over. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Essentially, it's what they said. And so so we don't need the Voting Rights Act anymore. And so they, they took out the real teeth of it. Um, and ever since then, we've seen, that is when we saw voter ID laws really go crazy. That's when we saw really extreme partisan gen- gerrymandering go crazy. That's when we, you know, we see uh, local boards of elections that close polling p- places and move things around and voter purging and all of these things happened because the teeth of the Voting Rights Act were taken away in 2013. And so now we're back at a point where it's even more difficult to vote um, than it has been in decades uh, because there's no longer any protections and the people who are in power now have you know the freedom to do whatever it takes to make sure that people don't vote so that they stay in power. I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court seemed to say to all these states who are the worst defenders, mm-hmm. you can trust them now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, they said because I'm Barack a, Obama's in the White House. Right. So you Barack Obama's in the White House. So Georgia's never, you know, Georgia's cool. They're not going to, you know, yeah. try to stop black people from voting. Now you've got a black president. You're good. You can totally trust Mississippi, Alabama, Texas and all the rest of them. Yeah, that's that's what they said. Right. I'm takes just I don't know what universe they were living in. <laughs> but. And, and there were state after state after state that introduced various measures, as yes. you point out, there are lots from from uh, getting rid of early voting to shortening the period of early voting, yep. dropping the number of polling places, uh, requiring voter IDs. Yeah, I mean, you saw, you know, in 2013, we had, there were a couple of states that had started testing out voter ID laws, Indiana, uh-huh. Georgia, a couple. I'm... Then we have Shelby County v. Holder. Literally within two hours, the Texas and Alabama legislature started working on a voter ID law because they've been trying to pass them. But Eric Holder had the power to say, no, you can't pass these laws. They're obviously racist. Um, and from 2013 to today, we have 34 states that have voter ID laws. 34 34. States? They just took over. And now the vast majority of the country has these laws that didn't exist a few years ago. Well, uh so did you mentioned him? Mm-hmm. Did Eric Holder and Barack Obama do as much as they should have done to try to stop these laws? 
No. And I think, though, I think part of that is because when they came into power in 2008, there was a lot that needed to be done. Um, and, and so, you know, you have to prioritize. I also think, though, you know, that uh, Holder and Obama and the Democrats, you know, they just they're always on defense. Um, and they don't really do long-term strategy. And so you saw Republicans had been, I mean, since 2006 really had been working on, you know, okay, what are all of these different things we can do? How can we get around the Voting Rights Act? You know, they got a case up to the Supreme Court. They were able to immediately start passing voter ID laws. You know, they've got ALEC. They had the, the legislation. We don't do that. And so, um, so you know, you didn't see really a lot of fighting on the party side. And you had, you know, the ACLU and, and League of Women Voters and all of these great organizations trying to seek judicial remedies, which hasn't really worked. But there wasn't enough done from Obama and Holder. There wasn't. No, uh, I, I, I agree with that. And I was uh, at the White House every day for the briefings at the time and and raised that issue several times. I mean, I, I, I really thought, particularly as Attorney General, Eric Holder, you know, was not as aggressive yeah. as he should have been for whatever reason. You're right, they had other priorities. But to me, this was... Um, uh, should have been a, very, a top priority. Should have been a big priority. Yes. Uh, so um, what can you do at Spread the Vote to try to reverse this trend? So at Spread the Vote, we do two things. The first thing we do is we get people IDs in voter ID states. There are 21 million eligible voters um, who don't have IDs. Although today is a really incredible day because in Florida, 1.4 million citizens just regained their right oh, to, right is, to vote is today. Is it today? It's today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that that's, is historic. It's amazing. That. We're absolutely thrilled. Um, and so so that adds 1.4 million eligible voters uh, to the rolls. And I'm we've been we've been calling we called every uh, registrar in the every county in Florida to make sure that they were going to register voters and, and everyone said yes so we're really really thrilled about that I so, um, so these are ex felons yes. right who can vote now but they yes. still have to register they to still vote. have to register so right. in every state so except north dakota you have to register what's that in every state except north dakota you have to register to vote regardless of who you are okay i'm in florida you now register you in north dakota you can vote without yeah they being... don't have voter registration i mean you no? know i love north dakota it's a beautiful state but you know they've got like 12 people so <laughs> they don't have voter registration in yeah north dakota. that's interesting i didn't yeah. know that huh. yeah it's really so you can just walk in and vote yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if I th- I think uh-uh. when you turn eighteen, they just put yeah. you on the rolls. I see. Right. You know, okay. So let me um, come back to so these f- yes. former felons yes. have to register. Mm-hmm. What are you doing and uh, to get them to register? Uh, so actually, some of them may, um, some may not. But you know, some may, some may not. And there, you know, so the same rules apply in almost every state. Uh, you have to have uh, finished. You'll know, be what they call off papers, done with parole, done with probation, right. all your fines, yeah. etc. Um, once you do that, you can register. Uh, there's a really extraordinary group in Florida called the uh, FRRC, Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, I believe, um, led by the incredible Desmond Mead, who is the guy who sort of on the ground was really leading this effort in Florida and built these amazing coalitions. Uh, They've been working really, really hard to uh, build on this next step and say, okay, we we won this incredible, you know, right, we got this amendment passed, so now they're working really hard to push voter rights, or to push uh, registration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've been working uh, with them and across Florida on the other side of this, which is that Florida is a voter ID state and making sure that everyone who wants to vote and wants to register to vote has an ID. And a huge percentage of the people we work with are returning citizens because when you get out of jail, 
Yeah. It's not like they give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are, you know, we work in jails and prisons. We work with organizations that work with people when they get out, et cetera. I am to make sure that we want to make sure that all 1.4 million of these now eligible citizens have the ID that they need to to be able to vote. So when you said um, that you want to be sure that the 21 million Americans mm-hmm. who do not have a voter ID but are eligible otherwise. But actually, a government issued photo ID at all. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. You want to get them an ID, yes. right? How? I mean, you can't give them each a driver's license. Uh, well, that's what we're we're working on. And so, actually, the the what kind ID, of ID do you give them? The ID we get the most is called a Walker's ID. So you get it from the DMV. You can do anything with it, but drive. We do help people who need to get their driver's license, but our rule is we're not going to pay for driver's ed or you know lend you a car for the test. But if you pass yeah. it and you need help, it's usually just a few dollars more than the Walker's ID. But what we do is we have volunteers. In now twelve states, we launched. We're launching in seven more this uh, this month, actually. I'm who work across the state, and they help people who need IDs get all of the documents required. So birth certificates, which fifty seven percent of the people we work with don't have one, and if you go to Vital Records and try to get a birth certificate, they'll ask for your ID, right? So oh, <laughs> there's yeah. a whole roundabout way we have to go about that. You need social security cards. You need multiple proofs of identity and residency, which if you're homeless or a student living at home, that can be really tough. And all of these things cost money. You need transportation, which if you don't have an ID, you don't have a driver's license, and not everywhere, most places we are doesn't have public transportation. Um, and then you know, even just advocacy at these offices, which given that the offices are there to help people get IDs in these documents, most of the time don't actually want to help you get them. Um, and so we, we work with people who need IDs, helping them in every step of the way. We also pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, our average ID cost is $40, but, you know, we just helped someone pay $300 because if you have any sort of fine a DUI or if mm. you were asleep in a on a park bench because you're homeless, they'll give you a fine and they block your ability to get an ID until you pay that off. But you can't yeah. pay that off. Yeah. You can't get a job with an ID. It's a whole it? catch-22. Um, so we have sometimes people who, who are, you know, the hundreds because they need help with that. So we do. We help with every individual piece that is required to get that ID in their hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a noble goal. And uh, I, I, but with, particularly in 34 states, right? Yes. So I. And when <sighs> so this voter ID, it does. Um. I guess it differs from state to state, right? Yeah. So some states will accept a student ID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are uh, there are twelve states where you can take you know a W two or a, a utility bill or something something like that. So they're much more lenient now. People still need to know that, and you know they will often. Yeah. Go to the polls, wait in line, get to the front and be told, oh, you need to go home and get your W-2 and do it all over again and then be rejected. But they, they do require sort of a wide variety of, of options. I'm, and then there are 22 states that require specific types of photo ID. And you can go on the elections website and it'll say you can only vote if you have these things, you know, a driver's license, a passport. I'm in some states a student ID, but there are states like, you know, Texas, where you can vote with a gun license, but not a student ID. Um, there are states like Georgia where... If you go to and there is an actual list of public and technical colleges, then you can vote with your student ID. But if you go to a public high school or a private college like Spelman Morehouse, uh, like mm-hmm. Atlanta, the biggest historically black colleges yeah. in the state, Uh-oh. you can't vote with your student ID. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, and so every state has its own specific requirements for what yeah. ID they will let you vote with. 
which just sorting that out is a big job. It's incredibly complex, you know, and it's, you know, first of all, there are very few elections websites that are meant for people to actually be able to read them. Um, And then, you know, we're talking about a very specific demographic, right? 11% of the country that doesn't have ID, Um, which if you don't have an ID, you can't work. You know, you can't drive, you can't get housing often. There's so many things you can't do. And so they are often the most marginalized um, people in the community, a lot of elderly people. So this really affects elderly folks who don't drive anymore. So mm-hmm. they don't have an ID. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, the only thing they need it for is, you know, to vote. I'm, you know, a lot of young people. And so and it's really difficult to sort of figure out. And then, you know, you have like what we had in North Dakota right before the election, where they decide, well, you know, sure, you have a photo ID, but it doesn't have this one thing we say it has to have, so it's still invalid. You know, and then you have Native American tribes that are having to try to print IDs right. as quickly as possible to get a street to address or something. Yeah, they needed a street address, which on reservations right. isn't something that everybody has, right. which they know, which is why they wrote the law that way. Uh, a quick follow-up question uh, back to the uh, f- felons. Mm-hmm. Um, how many states now uh, allow uh, ex-felons to vote? So, you know what's interesting is the vast majority of states do. Really? Yes. Because I know Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, that's one of the great things he did. Yes, and he, he did. And, and in Virginia, you know, I, it's actually interesting because there's you go on the Secretary of State's website and there's a very simple website um, that you, you fill out a little form, just basically name whatever and request to, to uh, have your rights restored. But in most states, and most people don't know this, and we're actually about to put out some a really big uh, program to teach people about this this year before 2020, I'm... In most states, as soon as you're off papers, as soon as you've got you know pro- mm-hmm. probation done, parole, et cetera, you can vote. Hmm. Most states don't make it complicated. Now, there are some like Florida and Tennessee, which make it so burdensome, uh, which is why they just had this amendment in Florida. But in the vast majority of states, you can actually just vote as soon as you're off papers. A lot of people don't know that. Most people don't know that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you can find out more about all these arcane rules uh, and opportunities, actually, um, to get rid of them and uh, to get yourself on the voting rolls if you're not already, or how you can help the work of Spread the Vote by going to spreadthevote.org, spreadthevote.org. Again, Kat Calvin, founder of Spread the Vote uh, and Project ID. Project ID is this project to get IDs to everybody, is that? It is, it yeah. is, yeah. Um, so the just very quickly, the, the biggest thing that we learned in our first two years of operating is that you know when we were, for instance, in Florida, there were so many returning citizens who needed IDs for everything else in their lives, but also knew, well, if if as soon as their rights are restored, they want to be able to vote. Um, and we wanted to be able to help people get IDs whether they were eligible to vote or not, and whether they were eligible to vote now or would be in the future. So we've now launched Project ID, which allows us to get IDs for absolutely everyone, and then through Spread the Vote, we can get them all to the polls. What are the, which states are the worst? Georgia? Um, Georgia? Well, Georgia's pretty bad, obviously. Um, you we know, saw that in this we, last... We really saw that. You know, there are a lot of states that people sleep on, like Indiana is horrible. Kansas, obviously, is absolutely horrible. Um, and people sort of ignore those two states. But, you know, Pence yeah. came from Indiana and Kobach. Sorry. Pence was is from oh. Indiana. You know, Kobach yeah. is from Kansas. And those two states are really, they're, they're, they restrict the law um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, Texas is horrible. And Texas is also, they make it incredibly difficult to register people to vote. It's harder to register people to vote in Texas than anywhere else. I, you know, it's interesting because West Virginia. It's interesting the ones you mention. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can argue, Texas is more southwest, but mm-hmm. we're not talking about 
the deep south here with yeah. Indiana and Kansas. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, everyone, yeah, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, they all have right. strict voter ideals, but people forget, and we actually are launching in Kansas and Indiana this year because people forget there are a lot, I mean, 34 states, that's not all the south. You know, that's mm-hmm. not all Bible Belt. There are um, there are, are states that people never think about. You know, Wisconsin, right? Look who, who was just running Wisconsin. Wisconsin has horrible voter ID laws. There are a lot of states people don't think about that are really bad. But so um, Wisconsin is one of those oh, that requires yeah. voter ID. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, yes. right. Um, and this is normally the, obviously the job of the Secretary of State, mm-hmm. which, again, um, is not an office that a lot of people pay attention to. I think they are now. <laughs> after Chris Kovac, yes, right? <laughs> yes, after Kovac, after Kemp, I think people are finally starting to pay attention to you know the fact that Secretary of State's one of the most powerful people in the state. Yeah, mm-hmm. but j- just by overseeing the election process, exactly. right? Right, you the can make elect- yourself governor, and not just on election day, but mm-hmm. you know all leading up to the election. Yep. Yeah, the Brian Kemp race against yeah. Stacey Abrams this year, oh, yeah. I think, really drove that point home yes. to everybody. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who was overseeing a race that disenfranchised thousands upon thousands upon thousands of voters in Georgia, all that benefited him. Right. And I, th- there's just not going to be a clearer-cut example of how <laughs> how that power could be abused. Right. And, and the fact that it wasn't just that race. Kemp spent years yeah. building a suppressive system in Georgia so that he knew that he would win, right? Like, it wasn't that he started in September of last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. He started years ago. Georgia was one of the first states to pass voter ID laws. You know, Georgia has been suppressing the vote since way back. And, and it's because he laid the groundwork— so that by the time Stacey Abrams was competing against him last year, he'd been trying to suppress the vote for, you know, almost a decade. There was right. this awful this... sort of watching her desperately try and get some sort of ground. Uh, and he never broke a sweat at the end because right. he knew. He knew the game was yeah. rigged. He, he knew. knew. Yeah, he knew the game was rigged. He knew he that there were that hundreds of voting machines sitting in storage lockers wrapped yeah. up that were never going to make it to black neighborhoods. He knew. Mm-hmm. He was chilling. Right. Yeah. Um, this, all of this is it is really, um, a direct, in a direct, you could draw a direct line, I guess, from full text, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I guess from the U.S. Constitution, if you want to go back that far. <laughs> yes. I mean, but meaning, uh, these are all racist, mo- ma- racially motivated. Yeah, you know, it's or it's, maybe ninety percent. It's funny because my grandmother is both very proud of the work I do and very very sad that I have to do it. Um, and because she, you know, and her generation worked so hard so that we wouldn't have to, and she tells me stories about remembering watching her parents, you know, count change from the jar that they saved all year so that they could pay to vote. Um, and you know, mm. and the thing is, and she she said this to me when I was first starting this. She said, you know, I think that. It's actually it was easier then because my parents could do that. You know, they could just have a jar that was their voting jar that they saved all year. But now, you know, getting an ID is so hard and it requires so much. um, And it's so complicated and so much more expensive than a poll tax was that it actually the way that we've we're able to suppress the vote now um, is so much more sophisticated. You know, and now we can just purge the rolls, right? And we can just we can gerrymander, you know, you into oblivion so that you could vote every day and your vote doesn't matter. Um, and it's it is both racially motivated, obviously, right? The the uh, color of this country is changing, and the people who are in power are desperate to keep it that way. Um, it's also age. There's a reason they don't want students to vote. 
young people of every generation since the beginning of time have been more progressive than the generation ahead of them. And they, they don't want uh, young people to vote. They also don't want poor people to vote because there's really mm-hmm. only, you know, one party that is actually, you know, concerned with maybe making sure if you work for the government, you're going to work and get paid for it. You know, because we're 18 days into this country being operated on free labor. Right. right. Um, and so there's there's a real concentrated effort. And all of these um, all of in all of the studies have shown, even though common sense will tell you the same thing, every single thing they're doing is to make sure that certain people can't vote. You know, we just launched in West Virginia where there are large populations of people who look like who you think would vote Republican, but who have been screwed by Republicans over and over. And so voter ID laws seriously affect them. They don't want anyone voting who might change the balance of power. Which is why these laws are really directed toward racial minorities and young people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yep. And um, whatever other pockets of, of potential Democratic voters, exactly. I guess, right? Yes, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's spread the vote, spread the vote dot org. Um, and in what gets me is that this patchwork of state laws, is there any effort toward some national standards? Well, I mean... That was the Voting Rights Act. Right. I, Congress could always pass another Voting Rights Act. Yeah. I mean, they can't keep the government open, so I don't see that happening. But, <laughs> you know, but that is, that's the that's the federal solution, right? Um, is, is passing a new Voting Rights Act or, you know, reauthorizing the one we have or whatever. But, like, that is what could be done nationally in order to solve this problem. And so mm-hmm. that is, you know, we have, uh, you know, a new house that has a totally different balance. The Senate is the same, but that is something that people could be pushing for. Right. Um, you've got uh, a, le- a few celebrities, one particular, helping you out. Tell us about it. Yeah, so one of the great things about 2016, I think, is that a lot of celebrities have been like, oh, wait, I'm affected by politics too. Um, and some are, you know, like Alyssa Milano is a great supporter, and she's been an activist since way back. Um, but, you know, we were very lucky to have Javier Munoz, who is, uh, you know, he was both uh, Usnavi after uh-huh. Lin-Manuel Miranda in in The Heights, which is personally my favorite, well, my second favorite Lin-Manuel <laughs> Miranda uh, musical after Bring It On, which I don't know if you know that he wrote that, but he did. It's fantastic. Oh, um, but then he also played Hamilton after him. Um, and he's Puerto Rican and... You know, we're in Florida where, of course, there are just tons of Puerto Rican evacuees after mm-hmm. Maria. And it is so complicated um, for someone from Puerto Rico to get an ID. We actually have people on the ground in PR because every single piece of paper that they need has to be notarized in Puerto Rico. Oh, no. Yes. Really? So we actually have like a team of folks in Puerto Rico to help us. Now, PR, the the uh, Puerto Rico is actually opening an office in Orlando, which we are thrilled about because it'll make it a lot easier for us. But we actually all winter had people. So if you're from Puerto Rico Rico and you're in Florida, you want to register to vote, your documents have to have been notarized in Puerto Rico before you came to to Florida. In order to get an ID, right? Because you need your birth certificate or your medical records or whatever, and they're all in PR. Right. right. Um, So we had to get them from there (laughs) and then get them up. And so part of it is that we wanted, you know, Puerto Ricans in Florida to know. First of all, you can vote. You're an American. Yeah. You live yes. in Florida now. You can vote. I'm Thank not you. a lot of people gonna tell you that, but you can. But Donald and Trump then, doesn't know. Right. It, but, well, yeah. Right. Well, right. add it to the very long list of things that Donald Trump. <laughs> you can Trump fill an ocean uh, with the things right. you <laughs> don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we really <laughs> needed them to understand is, you need an ID. We can help you get one. You know, and even right. if you, you know. 
even if you don't speak English, that's fine. But it's going. It's we need you to work with us early because we it's hard. And so yeah. Javi did these amazing PSAs for us and really worked hard to help us connect with the Puerto Rican yeah. community to make sure that they knew that they could vote and that they sh- they should vote yeah. because right. you know if you, <laughs> I think that that there are very few people like Puerto Ricans who have known since the beginning of time that the American government does not care about them. But if they didn't know, they know now, and that yeah. it's it, the people who are here right. really need to vote to protect the island. All right. Well, uh, good for uh, Javier Munoz, and uh, too bad too, more of them didn't vote because we'd have Andrew Gillum as our governor. Uh, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you. Uh, Kat Calvin, it again is spread the vote, spreadthevote.org. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with uh, our good friend Joe Cirincioni to take a look at the foreign policy hotspots of the globe these days. Kat, thanks so much. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Make it a Tuesday, January 8th, and here we are, the Bill Press Show. Great to be back with you today after a little uh, side trip to California to celebrate uh, the great public service of Governor Jerry Brown, now former Governor Jerry Brown, now farmer Jerry Brown, (laughs) with uh, Gavin Newsom stepping up to the uh, governor's office yesterday. Uh, We are here uh, in Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, Great men and women of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan. Uh, we salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website, uh, Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, LiunaBuildsAmerica.org. And uh, for the first time in the new year, we welcome back to the studio our good friend from the Plowshares Fund, Joe Cirincioni. Hello, Joe. It's good to see you. Happy, Happy New Year. Same to you, Bill. Thank you for having me You're on. looking good. Thank you, uh, sir. I have to ask you about the most important foreign policy uh, news of the day. Uh-huh. Uh, so for some time, we've been hearing about these American diplomats in Cuba yes. uh, who suffered these serious uh, ear problems, particularly. Uh, as a result, they thought of the, the Cubans uh, doing whatever, putting some high-frequency sounds yeah. and microwaves into their homes or whatever in Cuba. And now it turns out it may not have been microwaves at all, but... <laughs> Beetles or crickets. 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 Yes. yes. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it Seriously. Is. I mean, what's going on? Isn't this weird? It, it is. It's a very odd story. It, it's not clear that that's the cause of their ailment, but right. some of the sounds that the uh, diplomats <laughs> reported hearing, yeah. they had some recordings of them, and scientists yeah. Yeah. Uh, analyzed the recordings and said, no, these particular noises are, are not the cause of your problem. These are crickets, lovelorn crickets, as it turns out, crickets <laughs> who are mating, and, and they send out this particular, this particular Caribbean cricket that sends out this particular noise. It's a strange noise, but it does not cause headaches. Yeah, and it's a pr- at least for the human beings. And it's a particular cricket, right? It's a, they, they identified yes, yes. the one cricket that yes. makes this sound. But you, we well, almost, I'm glad I knew the answer to this one. I, <laughs> I, I, I thought I could catch you on this. But, you know, uh, it was like we almost went to war y- yes. against Cuba because of this. I mean, you well, know, the case it, is still open. So, <laughs> so we'll so we, Yeah, right. People are talking about invading Cuba. How yeah. dare the Cubans do this? So we'll see what happens on that. There are more serious notes, however. Yes. I, I, I'm so glad to see you because I've run, I wanted to ask you this for some time. So... Um, we're progressives. You're a progressive. I'm a progressive. Um, both of us thought that the situation in Syria yeah. 
uh, was uh, untenable and not wise. Uh, our policy there, and we, 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 you know, they said we didn't have troops on the ground, but we did. And you know, then it, it just—it was such a mess. And now Donald Trump says we're going to bring the troops out. I'm going to bring yes. the troops home from Syria. So w- should we be applauding this or what? I do. I applaud this. I am in favor of this. And uh, there's an interesting op-ed today up on CNN by Aaron David Miller and Richard Sikorsky of the Brookings Institution, who also applaud this, who say the one thing that Donald Trump has gotten right about about the Middle East is th- is this policy. But let's let's talk about it. Let's break okay. it down because this is a very controversial. No, I know. And it's a dividing uh, uh, line between among Democrats, Absolutely. among among the Democratic establishment and some of the Democratic leading presidential candidates, and like, I'm like mixed, uh, Senator Warren. Yeah, and I'm mixed about it because yes. um, I have to tell you, if we we pull out, which I generally think is a good idea, right? But then Putin's still there. Yes. And ISIS is still there. Yes. And what Donald Trump is saying, we're going to pull out overnight because ISIS no longer exists. Right. So here's the thing that where everybody is unified, the process. You know, if you're going to pull out, this is a terrible way to do it. This isn't how you should do it. And it should be a managed withdrawal. And the concerns are threefold. And one is the return of ISIS. We have pushed ISIS away from 99% of the territory they held. Mm-hmm. But there are still some 10, maybe 20,000 fighters uh, in Syria. That's a significant force. So yeah. you're worried they'll come back. Uh, two, you're worried ab- about um, what, what will happen if our ally Turkey turns on our ally the Kurds and starts to slaughter them. And this is a real fear because Erdogan yep. has said he would do it. Yes, and the Kurds have been our most loyal allies Absolutely. in Syria. Right, they're the ones the, who helped get the the ISIS out of Raqqa, for example. Yeah. Okay, and then the the third thing that you're worried about is whether this will allow the expansion of Russian and Iranian influence in Syria. Mm-hmm. So those are the three concerns there. And so the answer to that is one, look, this is 2,000 troops we're talking about. What makes you think that these 2,000 troops are going to have much of a role of any if ISIS has a resurgence? And besides, we're just talking about the ground troops. The U.S. is still willing to do airstrikes in Syria, mm-hmm. so that would still be there. Two, um, there are ways you can prevent Turkey from slaughtering the Kurds that don't require the, the presence of U.S. troops. Again, this is only 2,000 troops. What do you think is going to happen there mm-hmm. that those troops are going to be able to prevent? And the third on the rise of Russian and Iranian influence, well, that happened while the troops were there. This is not something that troop presence has prevented, and this is really gets to the greatest risk, and this is why Senator Warren is so adamant about getting out. The risk of, of a U.S. Uh, escalation of the crisis with conflict with Russian troops, which we've been in, with conflict with Iranian troops, and the stated purpose of the U.S. presence, according to John Bolton, is to push Iran out of Syria. Is that really what you want for this, remember, unauthorized, unclear um, U.S. ever-expanding mission with the troops? So I'm in favor of pulling them out preventing that. Whatever benefit they serve there is outweighed by the risk of escalation. So we started, Donald Trump said they're going to be out in 30 days. Oh, yeah. And then he said, no, we're going to do 120 days. And now John Bolton is over there saying, we're not going to get the troops out until ISIS is absolutely gone forever. So what 
is the policy? No one knows. No one knows yeah. what the policy is. And this, it's not a coincidence that Bolton waited until he was over there in the Middle East in Israel to talk about this because he, he and Netanyahu see eye to eye on this. Netanyahu does not want those troops to get out either, not because of any concerns about the Kurds or he's concerned about Iran. And he wants the U.S. troops there to be this nice edge but he's contradicting Iran. Donald Trump. Bolton is contradicting. Yes, him. He, he absolutely has. Bolton is saying yeah. things that, that the president didn't say. The <laughs> president said, for example, the Iranians could do what they want. Now, that is a grossly irresponsible statement, and you shouldn't say it. But it's completely the opposite of what Bolton is now saying. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was uh, on his way to the Middle East on a six- or seven-nation tour. Some are calling it the anti-Iran tour to, mm-hmm. to bolster this um, this Bolton Pompeo interpretation of what President Trump wants to do. <laughs> so <laughs> we're in. This it, is a terrible situation to be in for it, a nation. It really our is. allies can't tell what our policy actually is. So a, the president shoots from the hip. Yes, right? I mean pretty clear. I mean his his announcement that we are out tomorrow. Yes, uh, forced the resignation of or prompted the resignation of James Mattis. So right. clearly. He had not consulted with the Pentagon ahead of time, right? Or, or, or the consultations were are not the kind that were satisfactory to the Pentagon. Well, that's Let's another put it way. That way. I mean, there's did actually he, a little sub story there. Did he consult with other foreign leaders or leaders in the Middle East or our allies? Or? Besides Erdogan, n- none have been cited. Right. And see, here's an interesting wrinkle on this. It's just a, okay. on this, which is yeah. You know, Trump might be right here to be standing up to the military leaders. I mean, the fact that Mattis disagreed doesn't mean Mattis is right and Trump is wrong on this. I mean, this is what Obama was confronted with when he came in and wanted to pull out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. The JCS, the Joint Chiefs, told him, no, you can't do this. And instead, he had to agree to this modest surge Surge, uh, of of troops. Uh, And so what you have is, you know, you really have the national security establishment in Washington Strongly in favor of staying, as Elizabeth Warren says, staying forever. There is no withdrawal plan. There is no way out. There is no clear objectives that we have to meet at which point we can leave. So whenever the president asks the Pentagon, the uh, others in the national security establishment, what's the exit plan? The answer is wait. Now, I remember uh, so many days in the Obama White House in the briefing room talking about um, what we were doing in Syria, and um, being told over and over again, uh, our mission is Bashar al-Assad has to go, and we will be there until Bashar al-Assad goes. So uh, he's still there. He's still there, and you know, but I mean, he's, he's so, won or is winning the civil war. Wait, would you have to say that Syria was a maybe the biggest foreign policy? Uh, mistake of the Obama administration? Failure, certainly. Failure, yeah. F- right. Certainly, to prevent, the, you know, at least 100,000, maybe maybe more, 200,000 uh, Syrians were killed. Uh, Assad is still there. Uh, Russia's influence is greater. Iran's influence is greater. Right. It's, there's no real So under the right there. terms, uh, we should be happy to see American troops out of Syria. Well, right. well see, this is the... I've been looking forward to coming on to talk to no, you about I, this I, I, because this is a bigger problem of how do you do a strategic retreat from the greatest strategic blunder in U.S. military history? This goes back to 2003 when we invaded Iraq, and that's where we broke everything. Right. And all the right. incursions, all the U.S. troop presence since then, 
you know, have been a disaster, have not. But doesn't it go back to Afghanistan? Yes, you can go from the decision to stay in Afghanistan and then to pivot from Afghanistan to Iraq. Right. So here we are now in what we people are calling the forever wars. It's yeah. been 17, yeah. 18 right. years. Right. And there's no plan for getting out. So a president comes in, a Republican, who now wants to take the troops out for his own peculiar reason. Is it Putin whispering in his ear? Is it, is, is it his own... Um, uh, disdain for these kind of en- engagements. You know, he's campaigned on this. Let's let him do it. Let's let him do what is going to be extremely difficult for any Democratic president to do. So he could do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Okay. Uh, then Donald Trump immediately followed up, said, damn right, I'm pulling out of Syria and Afghanistan's next. Yes. There's 14,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan. And Tougher he said, to do. we're pulling but... 7,000 out. And again, there are going to be some horrible repercussions. You know, the, when a great power vacates a colonial adventure or a third world adventure, it doesn't end well. When Britain left India, it, it, there was tragedy. When they left Palestine, when, when the French pulled out of Indochina, when the U.S. pulls out of South Vietnam, innocent people die. It's a mess. But that doesn't mean, therefore, you should stay. And that's the kind of historic moment I think we're confronting here. A U.S. withdrawal from its Middle East misadventures is going to be painful. Wouldn't you have to say that if we couldn't get the job done in now 18 years in Afghanistan, we might as well recognize that we can't get it done? Or at least somebody present me with a plan. And this is I don't mean to keep harping on this, but Elizabeth Warren really nailed this in her interview with uh, Rachel Maddow on, on Thursday. You know, her foreign policy is not supposed to be her strong suit, but she is way out in front on this. And I think you're going to see other presidential candidates. She said about Afghanistan, what? Get out. That get out. She says whenever you ask the foreign policy establishment in Washington what we should do, their answer is stay forever. That is not acceptable. We have to get out. Right. Um, There's no plan. There's no plan for, for how we're going to accomplish the objectives that people say they want. How are we going to push Iran out of Syria? You know, how are we going to have the what Bolton calls the enduring defeat of ISIS? Really? Okay, what is that going to require? Show me your plan for accomplishing that. They don't have one. But back to uh, I come back to Afghanistan. I mean, we know it was a it was a, a, um, a the wrong move in the first place. Uh, well, to stay. To, to stay. I'm sorry. The initial thing about going after the Taliban because they were harboring Al Qaeda, I think, could so be justified. Could be justified and was right. a successful but, operation. But, yeah. In two weeks, accomplished in like two weeks, right? And we've yeah. been there now 18 years. This is the 18th year. Um, uh, but, and we know this is, and the idea that was expressed at the time that we're going to establish a new democracy, central government in Afghanistan, a country which has never had a strong central government. Never, never, never. Yeah. Right? What do they call it? The em- graveyard of empires? The graveyard of empires, right. Right. The but British, then, the, the, the Russians, uh, everybody who's tried. Back the to Persians, Alexander the Great. The back Persians, to Alexander yes. the Great. Right. That's right. That, the Greeks. I know. So, That's where his <laughs> empire ended in Afghanistan. Right. But then Donald Trump said the other day on top of that, but that Russia was right to invade Afghanistan because the terrorists were coming from uh, again into Russia. And the Wall Street Journal, you can take it from there. Well, just ripped this up one side and, and down the other. The Wall Street Journal. See, not only is this not the U.S. position, this actually hasn't been the Russian position until very recently. 
What's happening is Putin is leading a revision of U.S.-Russian history because he considers the collapse of the Soviet Union the greatest tragedy mm. of the 20th century, and that's saying something. Yeah. Just think about the 20th century, for example, for a minute. <laughs> and he thinks the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy, and part of that is for him to revise the story, which has been accepted among the Russian people, among the Russian politic, mm -hmm. that the invasion of Afghanistan was a mistake, and he's saying, no, it wasn't. Yeah. He says it was to get out. It was to to, to get out the terrorists who mm -hmm. were gathering in Afghanistan, and that's exactly the line that Trump said. I can't think of another person in America who says that besides President Trump. And the Wall Street Journal said it was, a, it was a, the most irresponsible thing any president had ever said, or something like that. It was really strong. Really yeah. strong. Yeah. So again, you get. <laughs> and this is another complication on this: is that whether you. Like me, you think we should be taking out the fact that Trump is doing it and in this bizarre way, l almost certainly under Putin's influence, makes the whole thing much more complicated. Hmm. Um, again, it comes down to I don't believe that Donald Trump has the faintest idea what he's doing in foreign policy, but he may stumble into making some of the right moves. Right. There's a couple of moves that he's made that are actually in the U.S. interest, like opening up a dialogue with North Korea like pulling the troops out of out of the Middle East. Um, a week or so ago, um, shifting uh, <laughs> hotspots of the world, um, Chairman Kim Jong-un made a speech basically saying, um, nothing's changed, we're still making nukes, we still like our nukes, we're not going to get rid of any of them until the United States drops the sanctions against North Korea. So I thought... The whole threat, the nuclear threat of North Korea was gone, if you, again, listen to Donald Trump after the Singapore summit. Yes. Well, Has that, anything changed? Well, some things have changed. And so I would say that this situation is, is hanging in the balance. That, that is, they have stopped nuclear tests. They haven't had, remember, the two years ago, so it was 2017, mm -hmm. they were popping off right. nuclear yep. underground tests. They were shooting missiles about every three weeks. They've stopped the long-range missile tests. So this is good. What Across they, Japan. They, and, yeah, we, we, dangerous they, stuff. They have not added to that a, 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 an end to the production of nuclear materials. But what Kim Jong-un seemed to say was, and this is still confusing and experts are trying to analyze this, that they were, no lo they were going to stop making any more nuclear weapons. <laughs> he hadn't said that quite that mm -hmm. way. So we... There's some good things there. There's a pause, at least, in, in the program. The hang-up is under what conditions will they start rolling the program back. Kim Jong-un says he's willing to do that. Though his phrase is, we will move towards the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Trump seems to be happy with that, that general phrasing, and that's a problem, that he right, doesn't right. demand specifics. But it's complicated because Bolton, our national security advisor, and Pompeo, our secretary of state, their terms, their interpretation of this is that North Korea should now dismantle its entire program. Yep. And then, and only then, will the U.S. relieve sanctions and start talking about a peace treaty. And the North Koreans say, what do you, do we look stupid? <laughs> do we look like Libya yeah. to you? Do we look like Iraq to you? No, this has to be a step-by-step -step process. And because Bolton and Pompeo refused to negotiate that, the North Koreans don't want to talk to them. So they've refused to meet with them, Kim figures probably correctly that he can get a better deal directly with Trump than he can by talking to the Secretary of State. So that's why he's banking on the summit that will probably take place this next month 
and probably oh, in, in, that's Han- soon. in February and probably in Hanoi. We have a likely spot that's emerged Whoa. just in the last Whoa. couple of days. I thought it was going to be at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> well, but, I don't think Kim Jong-un is crazy enough to come all the way to the United States. But That's a pretty dangerous situation for him. But uh, Donald Trump has said he wants a second summit. He does. And uh, soon and believes that he can resolve this whole thing at a second this is, summit. North so. Korea is maybe the one area where he could get a foreign policy victory in the whole world. This, this might be it. It's, but it's Donald Trump, so you just don't know. Well, meanwhile, we are demanding that they um, not only cease making new nuclear weapons, uh, but uh, dismantle the ones that they have. Yes. While, and I just uh, returned from California where I was there to celebrate the legacy of uh, our good, my good friend, Governor Jerry Brown, um, and uh, he and I talked, and and he made it very clear that one of his priorities moving forward is the reduction of America's nuclear uh, yes. arsenal. Yes, he's committed to this. I've had but many so long while, talks with him about while this. While we're demanding that North Korea d- d- get rid of all of theirs, we're in the process of uh, modernizing and expanding our nuclear arsenal, we right? Are on is track. this kind of contradictory? Uh, absolutely. And this is why people like Kim Jong-un say, oh, really? I, you, I oh, yeah. the yeah. little Asian man, <laughs> can't have nuclear weapons. But <laughs> you, the big North American, you can have as many as you want. And the U.S. response is yes. That's exactly so, right. So uh, this is a real so problem. All these presidents from Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, everybody have moved in. in um, Steady reductions. Steady reductions. Don Trump's going in the opposite direction. He, he's he's stopped. Why aren't the people process. talking about that? People don't, don't don't know about it or aren't concerned about it or what's going on. You never hear right. anybody talk right. about and this. So Joe, I'm with Jerry Brown. You. I'm with Jerry Brown on this. This is one of the biggest problems we have. The new nuclear arms race is serious. It's right up there with the climate change challenge as the one of the two existential threats to human civilization. These are the things that could actually destroy us as a civilization. It doesn't get the attention. It deserves, but it's it's looming out there. To Jerry Brown's credit, he's backing up his his intentions with action. He's now agreed to become the chairman of the board of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he'll be in town, I think it might be later this month, yeah. to preside over the movement of the Doomsday Clock. January 22nd to 24th. All right. Yeah, yeah, he and, he and right. former Assistant uh, Secretary yeah. Bill Perry are going to do the... Uh, the, the, the the, the Jerry and Bill show. And, uh, the Doomsday uh, Clock. The Doomsday right, Clock. What it means. To, to judge where are we. And I would ex- expect. But there was a time, maybe particularly during the Cold War, when this was like the yes. number one issue. Yes. Now, there are other threats today, as you point out, the existential threat of climate change, which which does get a lot of attention today. But I, I, I'm I'm disappointed that the nuclear threat has kind of moved off center stage. So let's get it back there. We will. Part of the reason is because the uh, policies, uh, to their credit, international leaders adopted the correct policies and were reducing the arsenals. Yes. So we have a fraction of the nuclear weapons in the world now that we'd had in the 80s. There are no new nations trying to get these weapons. North Korea and Iran Mm -hmm. are the only two trouble spots. So the policies have worked. And the danger is this inflection point we're in now where Trump is, is abandoning these practices. And there's a big debate in this town about whether to go ahead and spend $2 trillion on new nuclear weapons or do what Adam Smith, the new head of the mm-hmm. House Armed Services Committee, wants to do, cut the budgets, cut the weapons, and particularly right. cut the new, more usable weapons that some people want to fight uh, n- nuclear wars.
uh, just about a minute left. Is ah, um, well, that went fast? I know. BB Netanyahu in trouble? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. There's great turmoil in the Israeli political scene. Uh, the the left, right, they're all trying to. Uh, All kinds of challenges. new parties popping up, and- right? So he's not only losing political support, but he's in, he's in, he's under threat of criminal indictment. There are at least four charges of corruption against him, and some against his wife as well. And the the equivalent of the attorney general in Israel is weighing whether to bring these charges. Netanyahu has called an early election for April, and the um, the, the the equivalent of the Justice Department there. Might might bring indictments before that special election, right. and that the could Israeli, end Netanyahu's rule. The Israeli police have recommended that charges be brought. Right? Yes, now repeatedly it's the, recommended it. So the 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 civil authorities, the the criminal investigation authorities, have said we have evidence. If he was any other person, he would be indicted. You have to indict him. Right. Um, sound sounds similar. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there's a little parallel there, yeah, there isn't is. there, right? We haven't we haven't received the Mueller report yet, but and, we could have the same situation here where the special prosecutor says, special counsel, these are the charges, and then it's up to the attorney general whether or not he brings files those that's charges. That's right. Yeah. All right. What a what a, what a pleasure to have you in the studio, Joe. Thanks so much for Great. your time. Thank for you. For all your Bill. leadership of the Plowshares Fund. Check it out at Plowshares. I always tell you the English spelling, P-L-O-U-G-H, shares.org, the one and only Joe Sirincioni. Uh Have a great 2019. We'll see you often. Thank you, Bill. And have a great Tuesday, folks. Make the most of it. Come back and see us again this tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. Press show.